Welcome to Inclusionism. It is 5.46 in the p.m. I'm your host, James Felton Keith. Welcome to my church. Welcome to another Sunday where we like to say communities are only at their best when they identify all of their individuals. And individuals are at their best when they identify with a community. Uh, today, we are welcoming author, executive, extraordinaire. She's uh, not fresh off a book tour, but I think still on a book tour. Uh, Minda Hart, she's just written a book called The Memo. Yes. And we were having some interesting conversation offline. I'm trying to, I'm hoping that I don't miss anything because we really tumbled down into the weeds around not only what it's like to be uh, black and young-ish. I'm going to say we're both young in corporate America. <laughs> we are. Right. But also to be a black woman in, in corporate America. And we were having some some conversations around, you know, texts like hers. And I think, and you feel free to fact check me on this, but I think that her book, The Memo, is really uh, a first of its kind. And so we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so this very well may be a big black history moment. So, uh, Minda, thanks for for joining us. Thanks for having me, James. Where are you where are you coming from? Uh, where where do you live? Where I live in Harlem. Oh, you live in Harlem, one thirty ninth, not too far from where we are right now. I, so I didn't even ask you when we were talking. Okay, right. So you live right around the corner. <laughs> right around the corner. I'm yeah. on one forty third in Lenox. All right. So you're here. I'm thinking that you're everyone. I'm used to people saying these days I'm coming from Brooklyn, and so. I'm always, you know, hearing them go through that and apologizing for everyone and then thanking them for coming all the way to Harlem. <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, thank you for coming around the corner. Uh, I guess it was an easy day. It was an easy day. <laughs> I, I cannot complain. I've been on a lot of planes, trains, and automobiles, and when you invited me around the corner, I was yeah. like, yes, I can do that. <laughs> how was that? Like, how was, the, how was the travel treating you? I used to get burned out. My, my work life before I moved into sort of, politics and entrepreneurship was Sunday to Thursdays uh, traveling to a client and then Fridays working from home and it killed me like I don't mind being places but mm -hmm. I don't want to go anywhere I don't want to I didn't want to come here I'd love to teleport here I just hate leaving sometimes I don't I know if I'm you. a little burned out from that what about what is happening is that your phone no who's I think Maybe the last person in here. Did someone leave their phone here? All right, so we're having a, a technical difficulty, uh, folks. I'm going to play. Oh, there we go. All right, we're we're fine. Uh, we're <laughs> we're resilient. We we're got resilient. it. Yeah, we are. We, <laughs> we're managing. Um, maybe they couldn't hear that. Anyway, I used to have mic two on, so they might have picked it up even more. Anyway, right. So you so you coming from Harlem? Uh, the the jet lag is not is not hitting you not that much. Well, I ended up uh, being on a 28-city book tour, uh, and now I'm getting ready to go back on the second leg of it. And that so I've a had a little bit of time to catch my breath. But in my former life, I traveled a lot, but I sure. wasn't used to the back-to-back -back days, you know, where I'd have two speaking engagements in one day. Like, that's like some new level type stuff, but I, I'm, I'm not complaining. And what is it like? So you're also on faculty down at, at NYU, so you're, you're pretty much... you're you know, talking to folks every day. That's a, that's a regular thing. Is it exhausting? Like I find being a politician now, sometimes I find it's this big physical feat. Sometimes my, the middle of my back hurts from talking to people all day. And I just feel 
exhausted like I've been in a boxing match or running around the corner by the time I get home. I don't know if you feel Well, that. I'm glad you said that because yeah. lately my the lower my lower back has been hurting, but I thought I was just maybe getting old, but no. I'm glad it was just, you know, me doing my job. <laughs> yeah, it's a physical thing. I think to talk to people constantly, and I used to have this voice coach, I cannot sing, but this voice coach used to come <laughs> to me like, you have to pace yourself because you lose your voice by the end of every day. And mm -hmm. she had been at two different talks that I had given, and those talks had come at the end of sort of a day of events and shaking hands. And she was like, it is a bit like singing. It is more of a physical task than you think. Yeah. Uh, it's not just second nature because you're used to just speaking like it's second nature. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing. And now you're sort of traveling, talking about this book, but also what, like, training the world so so tell us about the book so the memo what what's the subtitle what brought you to this what's the book yeah, yeah. so the the book is called the memo what women of color need to know to secure a seat at the table and it's a, a play off of um a really popular business book called lean in mm. and so there hadn't been a business book by a major publisher about the experiences of women of color because oftentimes we say women in the workplace mm. but typically what most people mean is white women first and then everybody after that's mm. just the system in which we we live in and so i wanted to write about what it's like when you do lean in but you look like us right yeah, <laughs> you yeah. you're a black woman you're a woman of color you could work as hard as you want and sometimes still not get ahead sure. uh so i write about that but then also redefining the narrative for us what does it look like um after many years you know for me i was the only one only black woman in my environment and corporate life. And I had settled into microaggressions. I settled into bias mm. and I realized that was not okay because uh, I belong in these spaces and I should be able to thrive at work and not sur just survive. And so once I realized that I'm probably not the only one that feels this way, sure. then I wanted to make sure that companies understand what it's like for sometimes for many of us to show up in a workplace that's not thinking about the retention and advancement of black women. Sure. So, I mean, but at, at one point did, did that happen, did you have this epiphany? So I think we're in about the same group. I say we've been working for the past two decades. So the 2000s and the 2010s mm -hmm. have been really interesting in what we've been able to do versus I think what we heard we would be able to do from people who were working in the 80s and 90s. And so where are you in, in your trajectory? What are you? Is it 2010, it's a it's an interesting new year, and right before you <laughs> pop that bottle of champagne, you're thinking, I got to do it different. Or what happened? Was it later? Was it before that? It was later, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say. Sure. <laughs> I wish it was like my new year resolution, sure. but right. it like actually... This year, I'm writing a book. Yeah, right. it, was, it was really in 2013, mm -hmm. to be exact, because I had I was living in Los Angeles, and I took a new job for more money, title, all of the mm -hmm. all the things. And so when I went into that space, again, I was the only one, but mm -hmm. I had been used to that in my career, and so I didn't think much of it. But when I went into this environment, it was a different kind of toxicity that I wasn't quite prepared mm -hmm. for. And it pretty much broke me, James, to my knees. Like, there was so much racism, blatant racism going on in, in the LA. workplace. This was from, I was in L.A., but I moved to the East Coast, oh. uh, to, the, to, to the South, actually, yeah. um, to North Carolina. And, but I was working in a very progressive company, so sure. I thought. Uh, and it just got really, really bad. And that, like, tech triangle area? Yes. That everyone's going down there, and, right? And, and that was 2013, and I right. was down there, new opportunities, right? Sure. Cost of living. And, um, right. You got a pocket full of money. Pocket full of money. Cheap <laughs> land, a car I was full like, of I got to make this work. 
pick. Right. Uh, <laughs> pick. It's too good not it's to figure good. it out. But I yeah. could. some things we just can't make work. And sure. I think as black women, we've been conditioned to just make it work. Mm. Keep mm-hmm. your head down, work really hard and at the expense of our own well-being. And I realized when I left that place that I could not leave the workplace the way I found it. Mm-hmm. I do not want a suffering in silence and that it was time. I can't wait for somebody else to do it. So I had to be my my own savior, so to speak. And and it was a it didn't happen until 2015 when I started my company, sure. the memo and then through the advocacy, then I had this opportunity to write a book. So the company was the memo. So you left this firm um, down south and started the memo, and the memo, the company, was advising, it's management consulting. So consulting, coaching, coaching. uh, but more so from the lens of what it's like to prepare for your seat at the table as a woman of color. So talking about some of the things that we don't get to talk about in traditional, you know, career books and really putting right. the focus on. And so on the, us. the conversations, the coaching that you're giving, these are for these are women looking at what sort of level, like director level, vice president level, C-suite level, who are thinking that's my trajectory. Right. Or um, even more junior than that, who want to change. Or so what? it was a little bit of both. So we offered yeah. career boot camp. So, yeah. One of the things that maybe some people don't realize is that there's a wage gap, and that means that uh, black women particularly makes anywhere from 43 cents to 68 cents on a dollar compared Mm. to um, our counterparts who make 79 cents to a dollar. And so we talk about salary negotiation, self-advocacy, networking, some of the things that maybe we weren't taught uh, going into the workplace. And so just having the tools to succeed. And so seeing some of the the challenges that women of color were facing Mm. just in my clientele, I realized that there was a larger conversation that needs to be had. And that was what it's like when we are in the workplace, because in order for systems to change in corporate America, they need to understand what it's like for us to be there. And we talk about these things at brunch and, you know, outside, but oftentimes we we don't tell the powers that be like, listen, this is what's really, this is what's really going on. And for me, I was very blunt about it because again, I don't want to leave the workplace the way I found it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, there is a, there's an extreme boat of courage there because a lot of folks are like, I just want to leave the workplace. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. Right. And forget how I found it. Like, I'm here because I absolutely need to be and I want to go. Um, but yeah, I think for those of us who, who have trained up in a way, uh, it, it definitely feels like we, sort of have to fight for it. I think back to um, when I was a young engineer, and when we were talking about this early, and I was reminding myself I'm horrible about not bringing back up the good stories. <laughs> but no, I remember texting friends who were, some of us, I started in autos, which I think was a very, you know, toxic place to start. But I was a bit broy in general, so <laughs> I sort of, I realized over years I was playing into it a bit too much. Um, but I was talking to other friends, and we were all texting back and forth back when texting was slightly new and we all had Nokia phones. And I was like, do you ever feel like the only one? And everyone wrote back like, yeah, man, that's, that's the name of the game. We're the only ones. That's, that's our role per, you know, the school you go to, the frat you join, the, the places that you try to put yourself into. And, you know, talking to you earlier, I realized that I've, I had lost a bit of that or just, you know, it was if it was a long time ago mm-hmm. and I hadn't thought about it. And I don't normally think about myself as having been around long enough to have had something happen a long, you know, air right. quotes time ago. Um, so. So, OK, so you 
so you build out the company. You you realize this is a conversation that needs to happen more. That's about seven years ago, mm-hmm. and then you're thinking, um, thinking what? I mean, so is the the practice is scaling? Did you move into academia before that? Um, or is, or is the, the NYU stuff kind of new? Did you the, come here after? These are too many questions at once, I realize. <laughs> but did you come here right after North Carolina? Or so you? I came to New York after North Carolina for yeah. a different role. I was yeah. still, uh, I took another job <clears throat> doing something else because yeah. uh, I still had to pay the bills. Sure, uh, right. So yeah. long story short, I had started my company. I didn't start my company until 2015, but I left North Carolina in 2013. Mm. And so even while I was working my day job, I was still building uh, this platform, this company uh, with my co-founder, Lauren. And I realized that um, there needed to be more resources, more advocacy for for us, but particularly because we've worked so hard that I don't want us to lean out now. So a lot of us, yes, are leaving corporate America, not because we want to necessarily, but because we feel slighted. We feel unseen at work. And I'm saying, okay, maybe that's not the table for you, but consider that there might be one Mm. that does give you what you want, right? Because yes, it's nice to build your own table, but if that's not what you want to do, entrepreneurship is not for everyone, right? So there should be these systems that work for us too. And so, but we have to call them out uh, in ways. And so if I bring it to the surface, then um, I hope others will be encouraged by it. And, and the book became a, I mean, we might get into this, but even, uh, shopping the book around with an agent, I was told there was no audience for a book about women of color in the workplace. And it's like they exist. Of course, there's a market. I'm as an entrepreneur because I keep thinking. For, well, you said a few things that are interesting. I, I want to take a, a brief break, but when we come back, I want to talk about. You mentioned lean out, and that that's new language to me, but it makes me think about the Sandberg mm-hmm. lean in. And my, I want to talk about how much my sister loved that concept when she first heard it, and then you know. Facebook and Cambridge Analytica happened. And she's like, I'm not sure I love her anymore. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the lean out, lean in. I didn't realize, again, as a guy who comes to work every day in the same blue suit, I didn't realize that this is language that everyone is latched on to because of the conversation is having being had by these, you know, billionaire uh, businesswomen. But when you say lean out, I just think, where are these women going to make their money? The other thing is, as an entrepreneur, I can't help but think, oh, my God, she jumped onto a hell of a market. <laughs> and a little piece of me is like, uh, every time when I see someone, like, really, ha- like, fine gold, mm-hmm. the, you know, the gold rush guy in you just goes, ah, it wasn't me, <laughs> you know. But, again, this is gold that I, w- I, I would have never. You weren't uh, thinking about yeah, that. exactly. I would have never seen this gold. I, w- I would have never gone to this part of California and these hills. But um, so I want to talk about that. I want to dig, you know, deep into the book. We got to talk about hair. We got we to gotta talk about, you know, my hair is not even washed under this hat. That's why I'm wearing a hat right now. So we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. We still have 30 minutes. So we'll, we'll be right back, folks. Um, and um, we'll talk about money. Cash rules everything around me. Green get the money. Dollar dollar bill, yo.
You're listening to WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. See, yeah, super, super quick break. Um, you know, we just have to play the station ID. If anyone is tuning in, we're talking to Minda Hartz about the memo, her new book on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Um, we don't do commercials here. We just we get really nerdy about <laughs> all of these really nerdy topics. Um, so on this show, we mainly talk about exclusion. I try to avoid going into the gory details of the biopolitics of what inclusionism actually is, is written to be. Um, and I think, well, number one, this topic is so timely because, you know, it is the first week of Black History Month. But, um, but number two, your book is, is I was going to say sort of, but it just plainly is a trailblazer in trying to explain to folks what black women are going through every day in the workforce. Um, and, and what you call toxic. Also, I feel like this language is totally new. Mm -hmm. Like, I give a lot of political speeches these days about toxicity in general. And I normally just talk about myself uh, to sort of make it relatable to the crowd, to mainly say to the crowd, we can be broken mm -hmm. and still, you know, endeavor to be good and, and grow and come together and, and all these sorts of things. And so I'm curious to know as white folks, white women, but even, you know, if you have any stories about white men, as they read your book, mm -hmm. sort of what's what's the feedback? Is it positive? Is it is it critical? Are they learning? Are they like, ah? Eh. <laughs> well, yeah. So the book is kind of spreading like uh, wildfire uh, because I write it in a very conversational way. Mm -hmm. And I hold nothing back in terms of calling out uh, white fragility in the sense of, you know, touching our hair at work, us having to change our name to accommodate. Mm. Um, Do you use those system. two words together, white and fragility? Uh, so I in use other book. words, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> but for the sake of... Um, the foundation of what most no, people, right, so I don't get use it, it yeah. but I, I do use other terms that, that are hard for, for white people to grasp yeah. sometimes. Uh, so long story short is that they have been reading it and sure. that they reach out to me and tell me that they're thankful that a book like this, because as managers, as sure. they're managing diverse talent, yeah. they're not thinking about some of these things that yeah. maybe women of color or men of color or underrepresented groups are experiencing. And so they're like, I, now I can be better. Right. Or why didn't, Keisha tell me that she doesn't like her hair touched mm. and I'm like well Keisha might have told you that and you weren't listening or she was um it's a fine line with sure. us right if sure. we say something then we might be deemed as an angry black woman a mm -hmm. feisty this a docile that so I, and so that opened up their eyes to understanding but also um the really beautiful thing that's happened is even though four publishers said no yeah. one did say yes and now I've been invited into companies of uh, brands we're both wearing yeah. to talk about yeah. these things so that we can make the workplace better. And um, again, I'm really honored to be in a position to be able to say some of the things that black women in the workplace may not be able to say out loud. Right. So I am that, yeah. that person going I'm that black there. lady. Yeah, now. I'm that girl. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so it's good. And, you know, we talked about you know, Lean In. Just yeah. last week, I was invited to Facebook. Which oh, really? I, if you read the book, you know, I'm very critical of... Um, 
in some ways about Lean In. And so I was really shocked when I got invited to, to come I'm over glad. <laughs> But I'm glad, right? I have some friends at, at Facebook who used yeah. to be at the Times, black women, extraordinary folks. Um, what, you, Facebook here in New York or, or in, out? In Menlo Park. In Menlo Park, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've only been out to that campus to, get, to go jogging. I used to have an office out in, um, in Silicon Valley. But, yeah, anyway... Uh, yeah, I, I doubt they would ever invite me out for anything. Don't never yeah. say never. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I was uh, surprised. Trust me. You're right. My last book was called "Personal Data: The People's Asset Class," so I don't know. But you're right. Never say never. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, I actually, you know, I I like the company. I just, you know, want to uh, expand and, and change some some things about it. But um, but no, back to the 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 DNI aspect of it. Um, yeah. Coming into this field, I will say even when I've been on panels talking about, you know, inclusion issues, diversity issues, I don't run into enough black women. And the ones that I do run into, quite frankly, um, they're a bit, uh, what's the best word? I mean, they're they're very you know, reserved and political Mm -hmm. and how they talk about the workplace in general. And, you know, I get it. They work, they still work for companies. I sort of come in as the the wacky political guy willing to say (laughs) crazy stuff for the crowd's reaction. But, um, yeah, you being able to be, you know, a voice of honesty is, is, uh, as I think rare. And, I would imagine, I'm just thinking if I run an organization, I would want all of my directors to read the book just so they can understand when Keisha, to use you know your <laughs> reference earlier, when she can't say right. the thing that she wants to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just see where that goes. But yeah, I think we're in a place where people talk about diversity and inclusion a lot now. I actually, I was doing some work earlier and we had an executive director of the, I think they're the National Association of Black Architects and they're a large group, but they were trying to sell diversity and inclusion, uh, s- like methodology and consulting to what they call the 50 large, like the 50 mm. largest architecture firms. And these firms, they span all over the world. They really fund this smaller black group. And the, the group serves as a sort of supplier diversity org. But as we as we moved on in, in that effort, I realized that what I used to just call diversity and change to diversity and inclusion is now I think it's like diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity. And, and so, yeah, so yeah, it's like all these things. But there's a new ISO standard, like the International Standards Organization, for implementing diversity, and inclusion in the same way we would implement old technical standards. And I had a chance to meet the team. A lot of Americans on the team, <clears throat> a lot of Black Americans on the team, and they were writing this ISO standard down in Australia, down in Sydney, and. I really think, you know, you all should should link up because I do think that we're in a new era where because there is there are now methodological approaches to how we implement diversity and inclusion or inclusion in general, leading in with those anecdotal stories right. and those subject matter experts is really the missing link so that after the conversation happens, it's like, well, now we should implement X, Y, Z. I really, you know, as soon as we get off this, I got some people I got to introduce you to on LinkedIn. It's probably some business in there. 
And I appreciate now, that. Again, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous because I don't get to play. No, uh, hey, there's still, you know, there's a the, the fun thing for me has been black yeah. men who've reached out to me. They're like, oh, I originally bought this book for my wife, yeah. you know, or sister or mother. And now I'm reading it. And I'm like, that's my story, right, too. You me. know, yeah. <laughs> that's my story, too. No, totally. I mean, when we first sat down, I just wanted to tell you all of my stories. But then I had, had to go, okay, so you, like we got to go into the lady's story. Um, <laughs> don't go into what you were doing and what made you mad. I mean, because uh, I think I was telling you a bit about like my my husband's story and uh, so many people's stories. There's so many layers. Uh, I remember, so I started an LGBT Chamber of Commerce um, in Michigan, and we used to go to the national. I used to lobby them to change the gay and lesbian piece to the add the B and the T for people like me. And I remember being at these conferences and all the big firms were there, the, the Toyotas, the Coca-Colas, and all their EVPs of DNI. I'm using a lot of acronyms, folks, but <laughs> executive vice president of diversity inclusion or whatever, chief diversity officers. They were a bunch of them were frat brothers of mine. They were all older black men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to, until that point in time, which was, again, the beginning of the 2010s, around the same time you were, you know, in, in that 2013 mode. I was realizing, like, yeah, diversity and inclusion really just used to be, uh, it just used to mean black for a while here mm-hmm. in the U.S., and then that evolved after the, the 60s. Obviously, it also meant, you know, white and women, but if we saw any of us, there was these, there was these old black men, really. <laughs> right. So they're reading your book. They're reading the book. And and so what is your, if if I may, like, what's your business life like now? It's, uh, what is, it's, what, 30% lecturing, 30% talking about the book. And th- are you doing still doing consulting with that? So I, so it's interesting because because of the book and some of the things that I talk about. Now, the class that I teach at NYU is about um, talent development. Oh, it is. And so now I'm able to marry somewhat of the two things and have these book talks about the memo, but also um, going in and helping create curriculum for their managers so that they are managing the diverse talent in the way that needs to be managed. Because a lot of managers, as we all know, um, typically are just thrusted into this position and sure. with no training. Right? And right. so then, you know, everyone doesn't experience that manager the same. And so when I was doing my research for the book, I interviewed a lot of black women and women of color and over 70% of them said that they felt that their manager wasn't invested in their success. And wow. that is a direct correlation to why we see less than 4% of us in in the C-suite in corporate America mm. when we are the most educated group in the country by st- stats these aren't just feelings these are facts and so there is a disconnect and so as we say in the streets i have to put my foot on their necks so we yeah. can have these conversations <laughs> all right okay, you go ahead. In the streets. all right where, where where are you where are you from from i'm from california from so, california yeah. all right Southern you went to california. high school there yes okay all right, but I like it right. Put your foot on the neck. Gotta do it <laughs> in a, in a professional in way, a professional right? Way, because right. I'm still and with and, a stiletto. It yes, may hurt even more. Yes, anyway, uh, yeah, right. but I'm consulting. I'm speaking. I'm teaching. So it's right now. It's probably seventy five percent book stuff because yeah. of the six. It's that time. It's that time. But yeah. you know, ebbs and flows in business. No, totally. I'm just thinking. You know, you got to build out like the the Hart Institute, and you know, when you take in those those contracts and build those <laughs> curriculums, you know, you, there's ways to structure it where you don't get you know bit from a tax standpoint. Wrap but, it all up like a it's a yeah, social what book good. Is, is that in your book that you what? put out, uh, all of all of these tips that you're telling? No, me? No, no, no. This is just old B school. <laughs> You know, I took this one valuable class. Um, I only took nine nine credits at Harvard before I took uh, 
a job offer to, to come back here and try to start a, a hedge fund in South Africa, which failed miserably. miserably. I lost a bunch of people's money. Um, but uh, the, the best class that I ever took, uh, it was given by, um, his name was Dr. White. He was the CFO of Harvard Medical School at the time, and he was teaching, he was teaching accounting for governmentals and nonprofits. And he basically came into class and said, I'm going to show you all how to avoid, not evade, taxes. <laughs> and it was, it's all really institutional design. Mm -hmm. So based on what your consultancy is, I can't believe I'm saying this on the radio, but people should hear it. If, you, if you're on the radio, you know what? Yeah, write it down. If you're listening right yeah, now, then yeah. you deserve to get this, yeah, this when, info. <laughs> when, you, when you start your firm, don't, you know, LLC as corporate up, um, you know, Make a part of the mission, the social good. Uh, America really respects that. It respects institutions. And as you do, um, build out that social good. It, it has some, some research and or business services. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do a lot. I mean, my firms, we do a lot in this sort of data space and building curriculum for understanding around that uh, with some colleagues at NYU. And sort of as you're doing a similar thing, you can offer these services and just you can basically just stack all the dough uh, and the proceeds of the book, you know, you know, renegotiate whatever that contract is, make it specific to the institution, not you. Um, and, you know, scale off of it because you are doing something new. Folks, when we, when we first met earlier, uh, again, if you're, if you're just tuning in, we got another, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes. Um, um, we're, we're sitting here with, uh, with Minda and we're talking about, you know, her new book, The Memo. And, when we, when we first sat down, I couldn't help but think about just sort of what your business looked like in, in general. And I was just like, again, drooling over it. But I assumed that a lot of these books existed because mm -hmm. you see so many, you see, at least I do on LinkedIn, black women moving and shaking and they're yep. starting new institutions and they're educating the babies and the same <laughs> black girls are doing this and that. And you don't, you never think about, oh, they're not putting it on wax. Um, so as you are this trailblazer, I would really, you know, just try to maximize it. And because there are 5.3 million companies here in this country that pay taxes that probably 99.9% .9 of them have horrible diversity and inclusion initiatives or just aren't considering or seeing women at all. Right. That said, one thing I am also still to go back a bit curious about is what was the process of getting published? Like you said, you went to four publishers that said no first. Yeah. Or was it four? Was it four? So three, there's, three that said I guess no. there's five major publishers. Um, yeah. And so break those down for there's, folks. <laughs> there, so they there's know five major publishers. Who. Oh, yeah. first of all, publishing is very um, traditionally uh, mm. mostly white sure. uh, from editing to copywriting. Uh, I just heard Michael Eric Dyson saying that on Bill Maher, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Friday, so all of that. And so yeah. it's hard. And so when I wrote this book or I had a chapter, really. Sure. And um, but I knew that there was not a there wasn't a book like this mm. out there. We talk about it. Sure. We medium post about it. Sure. LinkedIn. Yeah, but there wasn't this physical um, like you said, on wax. And so, mm -hmm. uh, Tony Morrison said, write the book you want to read. And that's that, what yeah. I did. And, um, I was introduced to an agent who was a black woman, Monica. She's one of few black agents, um, Where liter is she? literary, Where is she's in New Jersey. Okay. And shout so yeah. <laughs> shout out to Monica mm -hmm. and she being one of the few in publishing this mm -hmm. book really touched her in a way, right? Mm -hmm. the, the concept. So she wanted to be a part of this. So she went and shopped it around and the editors liked it. Mm -hmm. But then once they pushed it up the ranks, mm -hmm. they're like, 
no way. There, there's no audience for a book like this. Black women aren't dealing with the things she's talking about. <laughs> black women are the majority of the black students coming out of universities right now. You would think there's just a growing market for this, you know, when you do volume two, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, keep going. So, yeah, so, so they didn't think it was a market, which they is crazy. And I wasn't famous, too. So they're like, mm. You had to come to it famous. Yeah, right. you had to come to it famous. So it's like, well, why, why her? You know, mm. so they're like, come back when you have... You know, a million more followers, maybe. Oh, right, right. <laughs> How are you doing on Twitter? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't That's where I get yeah. down, you yeah. know. But but the thing of it is, so I'm most active on Twitter. Follow me at Minda Hearts. Minda um, Hearts. Yep. So longer story short, four said no, one said yes, mm-hmm. um, hashtag seal press. And they, two said, oh, we didn't realize that there was a gap here. There's an opportunity, right? But sure. um, because a lot of black women don't get book deals, sure. uh, we publish, self-publish a lot, which is not a problem. But yeah. um, we also need some of that that corporate backing, right? And yeah. so um, went with them, wrote the book, it went out. Um, and because I'm really happy that I did have a publisher for this, because with the content, you know, I was able to get you know, on Morning Joe and some of these different yeah. places to, to talk about this. And from there, it just started to to grow. And, and the book is um, a bestseller yeah. and it's still uh, in the top 20 for business books written by women, which yeah. I'm the only black woman that came out in with a business group. book that in 2019 that did numbers. And so, A, if you take nothing from away from the conversation, which I'm sure you have taken many things, but know that just because someone tells you no, mm that doesn't mean that you're not still on your purpose, right? I knew right. that these stories were things I was living, breathing, thinking every day. And so um, your gift will make space for you. And because I was consistent on Twitter mostly and mm. LinkedIn, everybody bought the book. And just oh, the really? vulnerability. Those people those from people, those platforms. Right, from Love those it. platforms. Yeah. They supported me because yeah. they saw me from 2015 consistently yeah. talking about this stuff. And so it wasn't like some overnight um, thing that happens, but I'm just mostly happy because I talk about securing the seat and securing the seat is not just about me. It's bigger than that. It's mm. about bringing the next generation, uh, with us and making it so that, uh, we are direct beneficiaries of our ancestors. So sure. what am I doing to leave that currency behind? I love where you just went with that. that <laughs> yeah, you just made a spiritual, you just made a church. Um, you, I think you have to do that though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is odd. Again, another thing that you've done here today, especially when we were talking before this, is you, again, made me realize that that I've had a time and some of it has passed. <laughs> and we talk about a new generation. Yeah, there's a there's a whole new group of professional out there that is very different from us. They don't they don't know the same shows or the same music and they're having just as hard a time. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, yeah, so that that's a play like we're. We're those old people. Um, but we're like those cool old people that, we're the cool that aunt people uncle. say, young, <laughs> you can do it. You can do whatever we can do. Um, anyway, at least I would like to think that. But, yeah, so, sorry, you heard no a few times. Um, you all powered it out. Sounds like you had a great agent. I did. Um, they're I really do. important. Um, yeah, so who are, who are those who are the five big publishers, the, the companies? <laughs> well, I don't want to say their names online because they might come back to me now. Oh, I mean, no, they may be, <laughs> Oh, yeah. but, but you have um, Macmillan, you have... Right. Um, Just so folks know who they're, uh, who they're talking about. Viking, there is... Um, what else is out there? What is what The CBS properties are in there, but what is it? Penguin, Simon Penguin, Schuster. Penguin, Simon & Schuster. Wiley. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for, I just, I usually like to... 
I think in most industries, there are about four or five companies. Um, you know, if you're looking at advertising folks, you got, you know, WPP, you got IPG, you got Publicis, you got Omnicom. Um, a lot of them play into this. And again, you can self-publish, but, you know, some of the benefit of having these bigs behind you is really the distribution. It's and the, the fact distribution, that They have yeah. PR on hand. They can call Morning Joe mm -hmm. um, and... And, and blow you up. And at the end of the day, it really is about getting getting the word out. The media industry controls a lot of the distribution of the communications that we have. So we have to keep trying to push our story into the social and political lexicon right now. Um, yeah, because our stories need to be, I mean, it's Black History Month. Our stories yeah. deserve to be told every single day of the week. Totally. And so it's up to us. And I appreciate platforms yeah. like yours because... Um, people aren't necessarily thinking about us in these ways and so we have to be our biggest advocates no you're right they're not and um even when we come here i think like the, on this station there are like about 200 talk radio hosts but um but the business and tech side of things is it's rare it's a lot of sports talk it's a lot of music talk and i love all those things they integrate into what we do mm -hmm. but um you know a lot of people don't think that there's an audience that that we want to hear about this. And, you know, right. I was in the projects yesterday and everyone was talking about equity. They were like, <laughs> equity over equality. I was like, we need to make some T-shirts over here. Like, what? Equality? Give me money. And we'll figure out what equality looks like after I have some actual equity. So that that said, um, let's, any any final thoughts on what where you want to see things go from here? Um, are you working on another book? Are you? I am. We have two. Are you already? Well, uh, we have two book projects crazy? that we've, yeah. we've are pitching right now. I'm really excited about, and because of is there anything you can talk about or uh, not really? Uh, not really, not yet. Okay. But go to mindahearts.com uh, mm -hmm. and stay connected uh, to what's going on there. But and please go and buy the book wherever you like to buy your books. Yeah. Uh, but teaching this semester, really excited about being back in the classroom, and then also. Uh, partnering with different organizations and search firms so that we place women of color in these positions to be able to secure their seat. It's not about just having a seat at the table, but what are you going to do when you sit down? Sure. Yeah. You know what? That, that's such a good, that's again, another line of business. Oh my God, you're going to kill it. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean the, the head hunting space uh, is so big. I, I meet like new firms in that space all the time. I actually know all these great lawyers, women who used to be labor lawyers they're a bit older than us, like in the late 80s, early 90s. And now they're these super lawyer headhunters. And I was talking to them about the business that they're in. And they, they were saying they look at it like a labor union because it's an opportunity to, in a collective way, negotiate bonuses, mainly for their female clients who would normally never get to negotiate mm -hmm. the numbers that they are. And I had never considered it as an organized labor method yeah. applied to the executive suite. Like, I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, anyway, I'm sure they could use um, some help and some, and some perspective. Um, shout out to everybody with, with curly hair who has had someone try to touch it uh, in the workplace. My, I remember I had a bunch of colleagues used to, they always say they like my locks or my mm -hmm. dreadlocks. I've never had dreadlocks. I don't even know if my hair would like <laughs> lock up uh, without falling out. It's so thin. But... Um, it's a thing, you know, we are different, we are other, and we have to keep telling our stories. We have to otherize ourselves so that folks can get used to sort of accepting us being in places of power. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll ask you is, uh, 
do you do you want to go back corporate side? Is there is there a want to secure a, a certain kind of seat anywhere? Is that a is that a thing on your bucket list, or are you done? Are you super entrepreneur influencer now, which is cool? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm still. Again, I leave space for abundance. There may be an opportunity that That's maybe the point. right situation would leave require space me. For abundance. <laughs> would require me to We're go back. Yeah, that's space a good one. Space for abundance. So, yeah. um, you know, I won't, I never say never, but what I will say is that it, the things that I say yes to, if it's not about moving women of color and black women forward at work, then I have to say no. So I'm on this journey to make sure that we get what we deserve um, and what has been not been given to us in the past so that we this next decade is going to be different for us this next decade yeah the, this the 2020 decade yes i like you were you were like super <laughs> i'm inspired really seriously <laughs> like i'm just thinking about her in the decade and the things that we that we have the potential to do i feel like this is how i talk all the time you um you have a you have a political speech uh about you I guess what you're doing is, do you see what you're doing as a political feat at all? I, I wasn't going to say this, but since you, you've gone there, I, you know, before I became an entrepreneur, I never saw myself doing this, mm. um, kind of fell into it, but I always saw myself getting into politics before. Now you got to do it. Anything. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll get some, some insight from you on what's the best see, now way make me run to on. do that. But, <laughs> but I do see myself later in life as a, yeah. a senator or a I like it. assemblywoman or something. You know, there's a, a one. <laughs> So I'm running here in the in the thir- in the 13th congressional district, but there's a a woman named uh, Shivana Newsom that I really like running in the 15th district, which is the South Bronx. And I went to her kickoff, and I was like, you know, if there was a black a brown faced woman running in our district who had these similar ideas, these similar holdings, um, with some experience like uh, like Shivana has, um, I would not be running because just like you couldn't see yourself being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I was more the entrepreneur and thinking that politics is not a thing that I need to do. And I sort of had to, you know, learn and grow in it, you know, having more cultural conversations and less of the mechanical conversation. But um, I think uh, if you want to do it, we we gotta gear you up now. Now now I'm gonna have to call you next weekend. We have to go. <laughs> I'm not ready yet. Yeah. Not yet, but you just start a little okay, early. Okay, I'll come volunteer on your campaign. Yeah, we'll do okay. some stuff, and then you'll go. Here's where I can fit yep. because there's a back to what the, your publishers. There's a market. There's mm-hmm. a demand for you here, and um, and the fact that you've been courageous in what you're already doing, I think, is um is a is a first step because it's a it's a story to lean on. Yep, and, and we have to lean into our courage. That's totally, how we get it done. Totally, and, and tell those stories. So, um, we're gonna stop there. We'll be we'll be back uh, next week, folks. Uh, Minda, tell us one more time your your website, your your Twitter. So at Minda Hearts, M I N D A H A R T S. You can go to mindahearts.com, but pick up the book, give it for give it as a gift anywhere you like to buy your books. Anywhere you like to buy your books, folks. The memo. Um, Seems like this will be something that we'll be talking about for the rest of the decade. This won't be one of those books that just fades away. So we look forward to talking more. Thank you for having me. Yep.